Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So I am welcoming, welcoming, I just can't even get my first word out, welcoming Constance Schrober, oh see, Schrober, is that right? And you said it's, I have a hard time. Well, it's, um, oh gosh, one of my uncles was a, they were, they were all PhDs on parade. So that's <laughs> what I called them. I didn't know until they were gone. But um, my uncle that founded the University of Minnesota School of Music, um, he said he would put on the blackboard each year, it's Shoy S-H-O-Y-E-R, Shoyer, even sure. though it doesn't even look like that. And he would say, this is my name. My name is Dr. Shoyer. I don't and think I've ever seen that even spelling. So that's, yeah, it's always well, a risk. The way it's, it's phonetically, it sounds, you yeah. know, so. But in my German? uncle taught me that, you know, and I went, you did that every year? And he goes, <laughs> there was no other way. Our yeah. name is too difficult. And then I love the name Constance. And then you were telling me that that's very different over in Europe. Of I don't know if I know any other female Constance. Yes, I have. I feel well, like it's in, in the literature. There's usually a Constance. Um, well, there one. is. Um, there's some. Uh, there's even uh, an arc. There's um, a, a Saint Constance. Um, I've been to the Vatican, and and uh, you know all those statues that that circle uh, that yeah. are on top of the Vatican, and there's a Saint Constance. Um, so, uh, but. My father's middle name was Constance with an S, not C-E. So I was named after him. And I was the first girl born in two generations of males. So they were just delighted that they finally had a girl. And um, they were a family of immigrants from Germany and Berlin and um, the highest level of classical music like everyone played music uh my father was principal bass of the ballet russe um, oh wow uh and so he knew all the dancers and he when i i was seven and the neighborhood the next door neighbor girls were going to ballet class and um i said can I go, Dida? And he said, okay, I know them. I'll take you down to the studio. And so I went down to the studio with my dad and I was seven and they said, well, Fritz, you know, they, they'd known him from the Ballet Russe because uh, this is something that's unknown. Um, the musicians were paid, but the dancers were not. So every night, my father took out five dancers and fed them with his salary. Oh, my gosh. And because he said, I can't believe that you're doing all this work on stage and you're not getting fed. You know, you're starving. 
So he couldn't bear that thought. So it was his money. He didn't care. Every night it was five dancers, no matter what. That's beautiful. Um, so he was principal base of the Valley Roos. Uh, he was educated in Philadelphia. He was in the NBC Orchestra with Toscanini. Oh, my gosh. Um, he was in the National Symphony as well, principal base, um, during the war because he couldn't go to war because of the same disease I have, thyroid. So his, his work during the war was playing music at the White House. Oh, um, my gosh. NBC, well, the National Symphony, you know, the one that is in D.C. And then um, he came home after the war and uh, joined the Minneapolis Symphony Orchestra, which is now known as the Minnesota Orchestra. My grandfather had been concertmaster, but he was from Germany and eight of my family members were in the orchestra. So... What did I have to learn before I could dance and dance? I had to learn music. I played violin, viola, and piano. And so, um, you know, I, I knew how to count music. I knew how to read scores. Um, but it was a requirement before I was allowed to be a dancer full time. Um, and that didn't happen till I was about 15 years old. Well, you started when later. I was, well, I, I started when I was seven, okay. but um, I was in Minneapolis until I was 15. Just and taking ballet casually? My teachers, or? Were, my teachers were from the ballet rooms. Oh, my gosh. So they were, they were Russian, and we were taught the Vaganova method. Uh, which is um, the best in the world. The Russian dancers, there's no, no, they're just insanely gorgeous, you know? Um, and so are uh, the British dancers, you know, uh, the Royal Ballet, you know? So uh, I went to Portugal the first time to dance internationally when I was 15 and 71. And then um, uh, after that, I went to uh, National Academy of Dance in Champaign-Urbana, where they were also teaching everybody from the academy. There was a small school, um, you know, went into like Alvin Ailey or uh, Martha Graham or... San Francisco Ballet or Pittsburgh or, you know, I, I remember driving at Christmas, uh, driven to audition for Pittsburgh and I was accepted. Freddie Franklin was our artistic director, Nicholas Petrov. And, uh, that's where Greg and Justin Glodowski were. And, um, they became good friends of mine. Um, they were like best friends. And so, um, I started dancing. I did not know that everybody had an assigned place on the bar. And so many women, you know, slapped my hands and said, get <laughs> off the place. 
Wow. You know, and then um, the artistic directors liked me. And um, I was not even old enough to drink alcohol. So, you know, it was like eye-opening for me. And then all of a sudden, they would place me in the center, you know, to do a dasho or or fast or whatever. And um, that was that. But then I was pushed around by the females. And Justin and Greg protected me. Was it jealousy because you were raising up a little bit like, well, I think things so. push center and yeah, well, it was, it, it wasn't even my choice. It was yeah. our director said, you will stand here, you know, and I wasn't going to disobey, you know, I, I was under, you know, contract. So it was like, okay, I'll stand in the center, but the other ones that had been there for a while didn't like that. You know, they were pushed to the, you know, next to me. And I was front and center. And my, um, it was just one of those things where, you know, you don't understand why people are mean to you. Um, I never had that experience. I'd been at um, New York City Ballet. Um, Danilova taught me Balanchine, um, Tumanova, Tumkovska, Nemchinova, um, and these were, they were pretty old when I was there, uh, and that was before I went to Pittsburgh. Um, you know, I was there and, and it was amazing to be in New York, but very intimidating coming from Minnesota. Um, Big city? Well, you know, my grandfather um, wanted me to have that career. And so um, he paid for my housing, but I was on scholarship at SAB. And, uh, and you know, I learned a lot. I learned really fast Petit Allegro. Uh, my feet were fast. Uh, my extensions were high. Um, and that, and what was shocking to me was the girls, like Elsie Kirkland was in my class. And, oh. um, and um, you know, she would just sit down and do anything she wanted to do. But they said to me, well, if you want your hamstrings cut, we've got a doctor here that does them. And then you'll be back in class in about two weeks. And if you want your arches broken, we can have that done too. And I said, what? You know, but this is what they were doing in the 70s. Oh, my gosh. I have a couple questions. Because yeah. you have to be really tall to be in Hello Hollywood Hello or for any of a Don Arden show. Were you like way taller than anybody else in the company? Um, I was very tall. Um, that was the shortest one. And uh, hello, Hollywood. Hello. Okay. I was five, eight and three quarters. That's me too. Sweet. So they're almost five, nine. Cause I know for a lot of these tall ballerinas, they were just told you can't make it as a ballerina because of your height. Did you have that told to you or were you no. still kind of within their range of what no, they like? Because my partners were like six foot four. Okay. So when I put on point shoes, it was okay. 
So I also have a question, like your whole family's done music. Was this a departure that they welcomed or did you have to kind of buck the system to follow your dream to be a dancer, not a musician? Or did, did you, you know, keep doing music? My, um, my father was worried that I was going to starve to death. As a dancer? Because of the, the ballet roots experience, which was <sighs> wartime. So, you know, I mean, he that saw was that reality. Personality, personally yeah. for him. Yeah. My, my grandfather, uh, who lived to be 97, you know, saw me dance um, in, in Minnesota on the stage that he'd graced for, oh my gosh, more than 50 years. And he said, you know, my sister was with a mini and and the strong German accent tonight, my granddaughter dances. You know, he was so proud, you know, oh, that I beautiful. was dancing. And then Did my you- mother, my mother being a critical care nurse, she came to Reno and um and you know, she said well, I hope to God you're not topless because your grandfather will be very upset. I said, Mother, I'm a bluebell and I, I'm dressed. And don't worry about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So she came one Christmas and she baked six dozen cookies for row F. Just for row F? <laughs> well, I mean, I think other people enjoyed them. Right. <laughs> but... But she came, and it was a year that um, they gave us turkeys <laughs> as presents for Christmas. Yeah. Whole turkey. <laughs> so she um, cooked the turkey and invited people over, and you know, it was just. Um, then we went to Tahoe. We had family that lived in Tahoe, um, and so you know. It wasn't unfamiliar to her, but to me, it was. Um, then I can remember playing the, the nickel slot machines and then telling me um, that, you know, the, uh, oh, the people that keep track, they go, well, you know, they, you're, you, you have to leave the casino because you're underage. And so then I showed them my MGM ID and they go, oh, oh, I, I'm really sorry. Um, and then I said to my mother the same thing, like, you know, you have to leave too. And she said, excuse me, but I am her mother. And uh, <laughs> so um, that that was in Tahoe. And I was just playing the nickel slots. And it, <laughs> it was one of those things where, um, you know, looking young, you know, that was a gift, I suppose, you know. Right. My so how, did you, well. how did you get from um, Pittsburgh Ballet to becoming a, a dancer in these shows? What was your, you mentioned Greg Ladowski, which he shows up in a lot of interviews as somebody who was kind of a champion to get ballet dancers work outside of, of the ballet yeah, world. Yeah, well, he, I was um, in Los Angeles doing um, a lot of um, I was a choreographer for MGV, and what? um, yeah, I did uh, okay. The the one person that one group you would know was Steppenwolf, yes, oh my yeah. Gosh. Well, I choreographed his music videos and some others, and um, that's and, so cool, 
And it was early on when MGV was just a baby, you know? Those are the most uh, exciting so, times. Uh, Greg and Justin uh, came to Los Angeles to see me. And it was a summertime. And, you know, they said, oh, well, Greg said, we got to come to Reno. You, you gotta, you know, you know, you're dancing so well. I done Potacost. I was tag the only in Potacost, which is like you jump for twenty minutes straight. And you you want to die, you know? Yeah. Um, and so um, that's how I got to the MGM was through Greg. And, Tell us um, your, audition, your audition process, too, because also, did you leave the ballet world intentionally to go to L.A. to pursue, like, more contemporary or commercial, or was ballet, were you just done with ballet, or were you trying to still go for that? No, no, I was still doing it. In L.A.? Ballet and, like, uh, okay, Tatiana Rebshinska Lachine was there, so was Alexander Gudinoff. And um, we would have visits from Baryshnikov and then uh, Darcy Kistler from SA, from New York City Ballet yeah. was in my class. I mean, you know, everybody, it wasn't a dry, it was a, it was really a ballet mecca. Uh, yeah. Misha Panaya taught me uh, as well. And, um, you know, they were all, all very very well known and they were also doing the dance numbers for you know Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers in the earlier days and they were older than when I met them but um, you know they were incredible teachers they just knew their craft at the yeah. uh, the epitome of you know of perfection you know so uh, when 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 Greg saw me after Pittsburgh, he said, "You gotta come to Reno," and I said, "All right, well, we'll 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 do that." And so I came to visit him, like I said, at Easter, and they said we'll come back in August, and I did. I and I kept dancing. You know, it was always classes every day, um, and Stanley Holton was there too from the Royal. Um, wow. you know, in, in West LA, uh, and, uh, boy, I tell you, um, I don't know how hard, I mean, I was scared to death to be on the biggest stage in the world and that's what it is in the Guinness book. Yeah. Um, that stage. And, um, and then there was a lot of girls and they were from other shows and, they, every day there was an elimination and it was a three day audition. I can you never say who gave that in my life? Can you tell Pardon who was me? there? Because can you tell who you auditioned for? Because you didn't do it just for uh, no, you, no, Madame you had Don, Madame Bluebell was there from Paris, uh, Don Arden was there, and then the executive who owned that plane from Western Airlines. Um, was there uh, that had that uh, you know plane that was gutted um, for the stewardesses in the opening number it had the big W on it yeah. Western. and um, and then of course Jillian and Adrian 
Um, so there was, and then of course, uh, it was of great interest to a lot of people that were um, in the show, like Michael Coulson uh, came to the audition and so did Greg. Uh, and and they watched this process go on for days. Uh, well, Greg didn't always, but I, I remember Michael Coulson. Everybody wanted to know who was maybe incoming. Yeah. And there was a lot of people in the, in the cast that was current that would just sit in the audience and watch and just watch what was going on and then Oh, the most horrifying thing that I had to do was, you know, um, they asked me to dance alone. I just improvised. <laughs> and um, that wasn't something that we did in ballet. Um, so I did that and, um, and felt really embarrassed, but it was okay. Um, that's three days of audition I don't I've not heard that I did one big audition in Vegas and got hired for Reno kind of the same thing they just brought a couple but I've never heard of one going on for three days where they just whittling it down and like looking this is interesting it's the longest audition process I've heard okay it was a big one I think that there was just somebody that showed up Hmm. and there was so many shows in Reno at the time, there was Harrah's and in Tahoe and um, other shows in downtown Reno, and there was other show people there that wanted to be in Hello Hollywood Hello, and um, Don Arden. I remember him saying directly, and now that's Sharon Osborne's father. I didn't know that, but at the but, you know, he said to one of the uh, dancers, he says, you know, go back, go away. And when you learn how to dance, come back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was it was um, eye opening and uh, something I never expected. And I, I never expected to get that position, you know, because it was so intense. And, and you were the intense. only one? Were you the only one that yes. got that one? That's yeah. huge. I was like, that's worth celebrating. You got through three grueling days. You did it in front of Don Arden and Miss Bluebell, and you're the only one. That's yeah. that's that's amazing because there's so many people. You think of how many thousands of dancers they see, and there's probably like I auditioned, there's 300. I don't know how many of them were just not very good and how many were pretty good and what they're looking that they have the opportunity to to make it last that long to get really what they want. So that, I think it's hitting me now. Like we were, that's a huge honor to be picked and to be like, to go through all that and be the only one picked is like wonderful. I hope you've patted yourself on the back. Cause I think now looking back of hearing these stories of more of the history, I'm like, Oh wow. It really was an honor to be, to be picked. It was a huge um, thing. Uh, when I realized and I didn't realize it at the time, like being in the ballet companies or being at New York City Ballet or, you know, what my family had done. It's much later in life that you realize that you did like groundbreaking, really, really hard work and that you you were chosen 
you yeah. know, um, and that to me, at the time, you know, you think like, boy, I'm not good enough. You know, this will never happen because I'm just not good enough. And then it happens. And then you I think, a, maybe well, I am. I have a question too, because you were, I don't know how it was in LA, but when you were in the ballet company where you've got people jealous of you for being center, you've got like, you can feel the animosity when you came into the show, did it feel like you were welcomed or you don't have to deal with that anymore of people? Oh no, you know? they, they were very kind. That's they like a really wonderful good. to get to have it the opposite the experience. Opposite of a ballet company. Yeah. I mean, Greg told me, he says, well, you know, that you're going to make more money, but it's hard work. And boy, I didn't know that I was going to be naked in the wings, you know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and have my own dresser and be space woman and everything else, you know. Um, uh, you know, I I just didn't have any concept of what went on when those when the stage would open and close, and and then go up and down and then fly. I I flew. Did you do the astronaut well. part? I, I had to fly, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So did you see the show after you auditioned or before? Because sometimes they'll have you, you saw it before. So you kind of, it's so amazing to see that. But sometimes people audition, they don't really even know what it is they're auditioning for. And then they see oh, it and go. No. I mean, I saw Liz Elliott. I thought that is the most beautiful woman in the world that, that I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, I thought to myself, whoa, am I, she was jaw-dropping gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, her on the marquee, and I've interviewed her twice, and she's a goofball, and I will say that with affection, because she's so down to earth and fun, but when I came in, because she was the marquee, and on all the press stuff, and so beautiful, I just thought, oh, I can't talk to her, and it's just like the goddesses that people hold up of all these years, Liz Elliott, definitely, and Liz Leslie Bandy, like, I don't know if she was still there when you were there, but just to see, yeah, like, this well, of course she was, she was a principal, oh, she, she was there and for then quite a while. what was odd was that I um, went in L.A., one of my ballet teachers was at UC Irvine. And guess who was in class with me at UC Irvine? Kate Vanderleet. Oh, really? Oh, well, she's and, another one that people. And Judy. And Judy, um, I forget her last name. But um, there was three of them. And um, and Kate went back to get her baccalaureate. She took a leave of absence um, to get her BA in uh, fine arts. Uh, and my teacher was her teacher as well at UC Irvine. Wow, you know, they Kate produced some great leader. dancers. Oh, I, I I loved Kate. She was funnier than you can imagine. Really, you know, she was really, and but she was six foot tall in her stocking feet. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I, being on the end all the time, you, mm -hmm. you, dwarfed, you know, by people in the middle that are six foot four. You know, it's like so weird to be a tall person and then to be around them and like, oh, I'm not the tallest anymore. It's so, it's kind of nice, but it's also like, I always feel like the giant and you know, most classes and like, no, when I we did that life, it was just, everyone was over five, eight. And so if you get used to, you know, not, not feeling like the odd one. So you told me about the put in for the show too. Like, 
can you just can you tell how you told me about going into blue sleeves of how you were guided to do that piece well it was gina kasky and um and i can remember you know uh waking up in the middle of the night trying you know doing my choreography you know out of bed like thou swell thou swell you know <laughs> and with my arms and you know i can still remember some pieces of that choreography because that was the opening number and i can remember the day that um was our first day you know after two days and on the loudspeaker i I don't know who it was, but they said, watch out, incoming new girls. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I never heard that one when I was there. Wow. Well, so how did they, know, they? There was just five of us that came in that that contract. Yeah. You know, so did... and, um, and then, you know, so, but, you know, heat wave, going up those stairs of heat wave, yeah, and sitting on them. I mean, I was at the very, almost the very top, and I looked down and it was like ten feet. I thought, oh my gosh, if I fall, I'm dead. You yeah, know? those st- and the grand staircase. I don't. Uh, so you're a bluebell for yeah. blue sleeves. You came down the shorter stairs. They also came down for like um, top hat. Those were the not the big big. But that's still yeah. scary. So can you tell? Because you told me like how you were on the back of their stairs and they tell you how to count and where to go and it's like. What a bizarre life. Well, they would say, um, well, well, Gina was the one that was, um, and I think that wrote uh, Rita, Rita as well. Yeah, I love Rita. You know, they're just beautiful. And um, Gina would say, uh, we were uh, down in the basement and we were all on the elevator on different stairs. And she would say, okay, you go up seven. Then you hit the main platform. Then you go down three and over four. And then you start. Because it's like the chess game, but it is like if you're in the wrong spot, it could be awful. Like when you're the new person coming in, like it is like beware, like incoming new dancers. Because if you get in the wrong spot, like things are moving or somebody, you could clobber somebody. And when you're on those stairs, every anything that could go wrong is like <laughs> life-threatening. So do you remember your first show of going into it, like being present or was it just trying to get through it or what was that like? Well, I, my first show, I remember just, you know, just being delighted that I made it through it. Yeah. (laughs) Without incident. Yeah. I did it. (laughs) In other words, I didn't knock anyone down or, (laughs) you know, you know, I was in the right spot. You know, I was a clown in the circus. I was, um, you know, I was in space. I had, a, you know, that going on. I was, you know, and then that too had its counts, you know. Uh, you know, da, 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 da. And, and then, you know, the little space mobiles going around. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, it just was one of those things where, and then dancing in the dark. I can remember my first. Uh, well, I had a a var- variety of partners. You never knew who you, you were going to get that night, 
and I would have Byron and then um, another guy, I forget his name, but I can remember he said to me, he goes, I'm prettier than you are. <laughs> and, we're, we're, and, and, it's, and we're dancing, right? And it's dancing in the dark. Do, 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 do. And, you know, it's, you know, we're doing all these pirouettes and, you know, the choreography and all the time he's telling me how much prettier he is than me. <laughs> Sometimes that was like true. I don't know if you know Tim Mackey, if he was still there, but he would do drag shows. And I remember going, he is more beautiful than even the beautiful showgirls in the show. Like his legs were just perfect and his makeup were like, yeah. So when you're around these boys that are just as pretty and they get to wear makeup, it is like, okay, okay step it up girls. Yeah, they were prettier. They were, <laughs> and I would go to the drag shows, and I would see the drag shows, and then it was just amazing. Yeah, you know. But going to bed at five in the morning, you know, or just taking a shower and trying to get your makeup off with grease, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember that messy, awful getting, face. Yeah, and then, um, you know, having Mickey teach me how to do the show makeup and getting all the makeup from backstage from Paris and the eyelashes and um, a very, very unique way to apply all these things. Um, it took me two hours, uh, and, but then I got faster and I got it down to one hour. Um but wow. it was, it, trust me, it wasn't easy to get that that face on. Well, from the ballet world too, because I've seen a lot of girls when they take their pictures early in the show where they've got more of the ballet makeup and then later in the run, they get their makeup more like showgirl. But I don't know if there's anybody who teaches you. It's just whoever actually takes pity on you or <laughs> offers a hand of how to do it because you're starting the show and you've got all this makeup. Like, what do I do with this? But I don't remember if it was just some yeah. somebody would step Mickey up and Hotel. say, here, just took pity, like help you. Uh, my first show, Jillian um, did call me into the office, and um, she told me that I needed some help with my makeup Aww. because I wasn't um, um, what they call it continuity. Uh, okay, you know? and so Mickey Hotak, uh, who was a pony. Um, took pity on me <laughs> and um, she, you know, instructed me on how to do it, you know, right. And um, from that day forward, I was fine. But yeah, sometimes you just need a little help. Her, I, you know, it was not acceptable. So coming out of the ballet world, doing the show, did it satisfy your dancing need? Cause like I, some of the, some, the bluebells got to do some kind of balletic things or were you well, the ones you know, like a lot of people um, were at we Maggie the, Banks? Um, we did the, the shows for kids uh, that Janos Korda, um, yeah. you know, put together. I did the Chinese doll um, for Nutcracker. I did Nevada opera ballet. I did the benefit shows for kids. Uh, that was, was amazing. Um, There's so many opportunities. Know, so I did the, I, my point shoes never came off. I took class every day at Maggie's. Yeah. 
See, wow, that's such a thing. Her name was Maggie. Yeah, yeah, Maggie Banks. A lot of people talk about. She was, yeah, very, very great for the people that wanted to keep their ballet training. So when you, well, I've heard a lot of ballet class before I came into the into the Green Door. Yeah, um, because it was necessary for me, Uh, and then um, then I would put on makeup, and then I would go underneath the wings of the airplane and uh and warm up all over again yeah oh my gosh i'm just remembering people warming up under the airplane wings so when you come out of a ballet world a lot of times people will look down on show on the kind of shows we did but there's so many ballet people that go there but i what it's what i think a lot of people have to almost like justify it's like we get paid to perform and then you can still take class and you can still do nutcracker and you instead of like a lot of ballet world you rehearse forever and you do a couple of weeks of performance then you're done but did you did you feel that from anyone right. that it was like a sellout or stepping down to take this kind of a job well i actually wrote a paper in in college much later and it was called the transition and i wrote and and then it was published and that was um, in Seattle. Really? And, um, and, and I don't have a copy of it anymore. I don't know where it is because it was a long time ago. But um, I remember my mother saying this was very well-written. It was about the transition from being a ballet dancer to a uh, show dancer. And the differences, and did I really sell out or not? And um, it just felt different. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel like I sold out, but it was certainly a different way of life um, yeah. because of the two shows a night, six nights a week, uh, and then rehearsing at three o'clock in the morning. Should there be mm-hmm. a rehearsal called? getting home at five, you know, in the morning, um, you know, things like that, uh, that were foreign country to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, because the ballet world starts at nine thirty or 10 in the morning with class. And then what, what, whatever we're rehearsing, if you're a principal or, or a soloist, you know, some people got to stay, some people got to go home because that wasn't being rehearsed that day but it wasn't that way at at the mgm you Hmm. were always you what was hard for me was that i always had to be what was called on Hmm. if you Hmm. know what that means Mm -hmm. yeah you were always on like you never you know it was a lot of energy to always Yeah, what's expected from performers? You know, know, just to be, uh, you know, in the ballet world, if you're doing a variation, it's it's not like doing blue sleep or heat wave or dancing in the dark. It it's it's shorter, Um, and you're not always on stage if you're. if you're a soloist or a principal, 
Um, so, you know, and then people are in the wings and they're, and they're helping you and they're giving you water in the ballet world. And that kind of wasn't the way at the MGM. You know, mm -hmm. we, we would do, um, I think, four numbers in the first 20 minutes of the show. I believe. <laughs> yeah. I think Bluebells. I think we had three for all nudes, but I think Bluebells. Yeah. A little bit more. That's a long opening. That whole first yeah, act. Yeah, it was. And then we were always naked in the wings and I had a dresser and she was changing my clothes. And, you know, um, it was, uh, it was just different for me because I'd never done that before. Um, my mother's comment to me now, she would never she was very, very conservative. And then she, when she came and she saw the show and she said to me, you know what, darling? I said, what, mom? She goes, you work damn hard for your living. Oh, wow. Wow. Did she was, like the show? Or did the nudity bother her? She loved it. I mean, I don't know if you she couldn't believe how beautiful it was and she had a hard time finding me because there's so much activity and yeah. I tried to tell her that I was in this spot this spot this spot this spot but you know when you see it there's so much going on that it's it's hard to find someone yeah even if you tell them exactly where you are in this particular number I drew my grandmother a map of on the airplane wing I'm the third one over and then I would tell but what she did is she recognized my butt my own grandmother she says oh I found you I could find your butt on stage and then I knew oh, I could find your face <laughs> I was like you know I my mother did the same thing I've got a birthmark on my butt <laughs> and, she goes, and and she found me in heat wave and she says well I finally found you I found you by your birthmark on your bussa oh and my said, gosh are you kidding me you found me from my butt, you know, not my face. <laughs> yeah, your butt doesn't have a lot of extra makeup and eyelashes. That's too yeah. funny. Okay, we have that in common. Yeah. So how, you did, did you do two years of Hello, Hollywood, Hello? Yeah. What made you decide to, to stop? Or were you going to do other shows? Or were you done dancing? Well, you know, um, I don't think if I decided, I think that it was a decision made that they were bringing others in that were maybe taller or I can remember, you know, sitting in front of, you know, and the, the management team and then just not being renewed, you know, for whatever reason, that was fine. Is um, that what they do? The whole cast has to re-audition? Yes. I never okay and everybody has to go through it just like they don't know if they have yep. a job to come wow that's intense yep and it wasn't always um a good outcome um uh, and that's it good. was heartbreaking but yeah you know, deal with it and you know I went back to Los Angeles and continued MTV video choreography um then you know I got a job with the airlines that worked for Delta um, and then, you know, I was at, in Salt Lake City and at Ballet West, and I oh. got the opportunity to set Firebird and dance it. Oh, my gosh. Firebird. And um, 
you know, I mean, I danced a lot until, you know, my gosh, I was classing in 1999. So you figure, you know, wow. from 1957 to 1999 is a long, long career. That's amazing. That's amazing. Wow. So you also, did you, you went back to college, you got your. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Because. So you know, my because of the stigma of um, some of my family members, not all, but some, you know, and then, um, but they didn't even come to my graduation, and I was with honors, uh, oh. and two baccalaureates, one in uh, medieval and British uh, English lit, and one in organizational communications. And then a master's in languages and literature. And wow. so I, I had to, it was for me, it was proving to my family that dancers are not dumb. We are yeah. some of the brightest, some of the biggest bulbs, because to learn that much choreography, two hours of choreography in two days is amazing. Yeah. I don't even know how I did it. You know, it's yeah. just uh, to this day, I think, well, boy, that I guess that was talent, but I was young. Yeah. You know, I was young. I was in my 20s. And so I just took it in my stride and did it, you know. So you also, you said you lived in Seattle for 20 years, 10 years? 20 years. I'm from Seattle, yeah, so like we were really close because I live close to Green Lake, but you said you also were working in the medical profession at yeah, UW. I went to University of Washington Medical Center. Um, I got the job, well, once again, just by chance. Uh, I was sent there by the UW recruiting team, and um, I do, knew nothing about ORs at the time, <laughs> you know, just like. You know, you know nothing about the biggest show in the world, and right. so I felt like I was thrown into this big pool, and and all of a sudden there's 26 ORs, and I'm wearing scrubs, and um, <laughs> then you know having to do data entry, you know data, and I I knew the computer, so it wasn't so difficult. But I think you know with the surgeons, what what I found out most importantly was while everyone's asleep, the magic happens. They were doing mm -hmm. heart transplants. It was a level five trauma center. Um, they were doing transplants of everything. They were doing partial livers. They were doing kidneys. And, you know, um, we, we would get, um, you know, uh, organs from lots of places they were flown in and they were in coolers and and i finally said you know you've got to have respect would you please not put them on the floor and kick them by accident because uh, somebody gave their life for this for to save someone right. else so i made them make a special room with with you know uh, shelves on it so that show some respect i mean someone said yes um you can 
take my son's or daughter's organs or my husband's or yeah. my wife's and save someone else's life. And that was going on all the time. Those ORs ran 24 seven. Well, UW is one of the most, like, as far as like on the cutting edge, as far as research, they're always like noted for like new. So yeah, it's like, it's, I love that I live right by it, but I, I, you kind of take for granted of this is a prestigious hospital and that you, you're in the OR. That's fascinating to go from like, it's, I love everybody's career changes and choices and transitions. Like, you know, when you're backstage putting your makeup, like, oh, one day you're going to work in the OR. There's things that we do later that we think that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I, I think the ability to um, learn quickly, which I yeah. learned at the MGM, really helped me in other areas of my life. Um, at at, at uh, UW, yeah, you know, being thrown into that role, and the previous um, person that I replaced hadn't filed for five years. And I had a staff of 278 people. Oh my gosh. And I had to make sense of her non-reality, not being there anymore, no one to train me. So, um, you know, it was, it was uh, an act of love and a lot of chocolate. (laughs) And And I still stay skinny. You know, but I, but I worked a lot and, um, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed what I did, you know, because I would see firsthand what they were doing. And then Bill and Melinda Gates were really a big part of it. Every single, um, it seems like every single, uh, you know, uh, building on the U- UW campus is a is Bill is Bill Gates's parents the Mary mm. Gates Hall the Bill, oh. Bill Gates Hall if you look you know they're very old but it, on the top make no mistake they built that university you know really? yeah wow wow I just think that people have talked about like how show business being a dancer that helps and other things like being able to adapt quickly. You also see a big picture where there's detail people, but you have to kind of think of the good, you know, when you're in the show, you're looking out for everybody else. And so there's just a lot of, of the mindset of those shows that does seem like it would translate into good management, good use of time. You can't be late. There's no way you can be late for a show, you know? So there's like the whole thing of time management and being responsible probably in a different way. So it is interesting what people do after that, it do, you don't just leave that part of your life. I think it helps into some of those other, and like we proved, like we're not dumb. Whatever assumption people have about dancers, it's sad, but um, yeah, really sad. Yeah. So and now I write. I I started to write freelance grants um, for nonprofits um, for the dance world, for the arts world. Really, and I wrote um, a half a million dollar grant for Boston Ballet. Um, which lasted 20 years for free flights on Delta Airlines. The, they could fly all over the world for 20 years. Uh, I did that for Ballet West. Um, you know, so I have a, quite a history of success. And I, 
you know, knew when the deadlines were and I was able to um, write succinctly um, because no one reads after the first paragraph, trust me. Mm. You know? <laughs> uh, because you have to prove why you deserve that money. Uh, and um, so you write a, a paragraph and you describe why. And then you write an analogy that may be five pages long to then go into depth. Now, no one reads that um, through the NEA, trust mm-hmm. me. <laughs> I love that. Um, um, this year, everybody's life is fascinating. I just love how much um, variety is in your life. So we, when I reached out to you, there was two things. One was your photo was so stinking cute of that hat. It looks very twenties and your makeup. And it looks like a piece of art. Like I would put that probably on a book cover or a, an art piece. It's just so beautiful. And so I was, I photos actually make me reach out to people for interviews. It's interesting. If someone's got a great photo, I'm like, what else do they have? And then I want to read about them. And then you've also were posting about COVID and how I think, you know, with this group, this big international group of bluebells, like people are experiencing the pandemic different, the, the lockdowns, like when it all happened, it's just, I think it kind of helped me feel the world was bigger and smaller at the same time to see, you know, how it's affecting. And it, when it's within your own community, it started to feel really personal. And so I was been watching your post. And when I reached out, I wanted to make sure like definitely was something you would choose to talk about that I'm not putting you on the spot. And no. is this something you feel like sharing? And I, and when you said, yes, I thought this is really important. I think for people to not have it be anonymous people out there somewhere, but somebody within right. your own community that's affected. So would you mind sharing about your journey well, through this? Um, you know, I contracted it and it was purely preventable. Um, where I was, it didn't mask me up. They didn't take it seriously. I had just ruptured my colon and it was um, July, August of last year. And um, so I was in a, uh, trying to rehabilitate and um, and then all of a sudden I contracted COVID. And I don't remember even going to the hospital in an ambulance. Um, I was in ICU for three weeks. I was in septic shock. I had peritonitis and I was having seizures. Um, I can tell you that any one of those three would have done me in. And I really, to this day, don't know why I am here, except for to tell my story and to tell Mm -hmm. people, please, you know, even if you've been vaccinated, which I can't be because I'm anaphylactic, which means I stop breathing. Um, Even if you have had a vaccine, please wear a mask because you don't know if the person next to you has had a vaccine. Yeah, You just don't know that. And you're not going to ask them in the grocery store and gas stations are the worst because there's more germs on those things in the gas station than you can imagine. Um, The pumps, you know. Um, And then, you know, I I can't ever go without a mask, um, and and even if the the vaccines, um, 
I can tell you that I worked with Bill and Melinda Gates on the HIV and AIDS project. And that was in the 90s after Hello Hollywood Hello. And we had 19 sites on the continent of Africa to um, try to, you know, because they lost all of the parents. And so the grandparents were raising the children because they had died of AIDS, the, the parents had. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is there, is there a vaccine yet for AIDS? No. Mm-hmm. Um, these vaccines from the CDC or wherever they come from, uh, a variety of places, um, and there are three of them now, I can tell you that um, some of them, like my cousin, died from his vaccine in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Johnson & Johnson. Um, there is Modera and there's um, Pfizer. Uh, I can tell you that the vaccines are not proven. It usually takes two years to spend, to make a vaccine perfect. And, and even then, it's not perfect. Like the flu vaccine, for instance, didn't come out until the 70s. And the Hong Kong flu pandemic of 68 killed a lot, but this this pandemic has killed more than you know World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, and Korea combined oh, worldwide. Wow! And that is that's horrific. Um, yeah, it is the new. I had what was called the Alpha variant, which was the first variant, um, and then there's been variants beyond that. I was warned by my neurologist that the Delta variant, which was coming um, because they knew ahead of time that it was three times more deadly and three times more contagious than what I had had. Um, And what happened to me was my neural system went down. All my systems, the main systems went down. Um, They were, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just surprised that I'm alive, but how well you have to question how well did you survive if you if i could walk to the bathroom i'd be happy but i have a catheter and i wear a bag and i'm gonna have uh surgery in september to reverse all that um but it's scary because of the the first time um i i must tell you that this pandemic is terrifying because it's not over with and people think it is. Um, and they they take off their masks and they want to have parties and barbecues and everything that we knew was normal. But what is the new normal? The new normal is we have to wait till it subsides, but the variants keep popping up and they can't and keep up with that in in Atlanta. The Center for Disease Control is in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, and so, you know, I get uh, updates every day about what's going on, you know, and what they're finding out about how these the virus is mutating. And it, and it is mutating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the bad part about it. 
if it would stop mutating, then we our pandemic would slow down and perhaps we'd have an end to it. Yeah. But it's not. Our, you know, and that's what's really hard. Yeah. And you said the CDC is you're a case study, or you're what do you say? They're they're actually you're a yeah, I, I'm a statistic for them. Do they follow up I'm with you? I'm also in the Minnesota Department of Health and uh, and 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 in Atlanta as well. You know, so because I survived, and so many don't survive. Yeah, and the neurological, like you've had neurological damage, you've had organ. Is it permanent yeah, my, or just my compromised? Lungs, my lungs um, don't expand anymore. The rib cage doesn't move. So it's very difficult to breathe. And I, um, I'm not a smoker. I never was. Um, and, and then uh, I have uh, endocrine damage, which is, uh, it, 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 that's a known fact that you're, um, it damages thyroids. But I, due to the fact that I don't have one, it damaged me more. Um, and so now I have a weekly infusions of, of le- levothyroxine, which is a thyroid hormone mm-hmm. into my veins. So, um, someone pokes me at least once a week and that's been going on for a long time. So your life can- since then is being home isolated and a lot of doctor's offices. Are you going in and out of the hospital or do people visit you? Like what is your safety for going into medical spaces for help? Um, well, I have a wheelchair. I can't walk yet. I'm learning yeah. how to walk. So I have home health care. Okay. Uh, and they come into the house, but everyone wears masks. Um, I am bathed. I have help bathing. Um, when I go into the medical center, um, everybody is masked up. You know, uh, they're not fooling themselves at at University of Minnesota. Everybody believes that this is not safe and you cannot go in there. And they do test you routinely for a, for, for the COVID. I've had three tests up my nose and in my blood, mm-hmm. um, you know, and um, I don't mind. I mean... I mean, safe is safe, and they, you know, they they want to be safe too, because yeah. they're treating you. And so, if I go in there, I go in there once a week for my infusion, and then I go in, you know, for neuromuscular, neurology, um, MRIs, chest X-rays, pulmonary. Um, you know, the pulmonologists I see this month too. Um, they've already done all the tests in like the Mr. S- like, have you seen Star Trek where they have those, those round things where they beam me up, Scotty, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, they put you in one of those <laughs> and have you blow into a, a receptacle. And then, uh, you know, so you're, you're, you're standing there going, you know, beam me up, Scotty, you know, <laughs> You know, so I've gone through all the tests of, you know, the neuro, the pulmonary, the endocrine, um, and the blood tests, the hematology. My blood is damaged too. Uh, you know, the cell hematologist as well. 
um, it just wrecked me. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know going forward what my purpose is. I used yeah. to know and have a plan. And I do have a psychologist that I talk to once a week because I wouldn't survive without one. Right. Um, I do need that support. And it can't be how my family has passed away. So um, my dear mother is gone, who loved the show. Um, I have no siblings left. So that's it. Um, I uh, So... There isn't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I I pray that I live through the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, Greg Ladowski and I, I remember this is about prayer. Uh, we had a teacher in Pittsburgh named Edward Caton. And Edward Caton was the partner of Anna Pavlova. And, and he was in his 80s when he was our teacher and Greg and I and Justin used to stand together in class and um, you know we had heard we were backstage at the MGM and it was right before the San Francisco number and we were sitting in the wing Um, you know I said you know Mr. Caden has passed away. And so we stood in the wings and we said prayers for Mr. Caden, you know, because he was um, something extraordinary to us. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, prayer is a big part of my life. I pray that I get through every day. I pray that I wake up in the morning. You know, um, it's, it's, it's life altering, life changing, everything. And I hope people take it seriously because it 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 needs to be. And I think that so many people think that it's over with and it's not over with. We're right in the middle of it. Yeah. Seriously wow. speaking. You know, mm-hmm. we are in the middle of this pandemic. It's far from over. Um, I, I really want people, you know, like when I say mask up, you know, I mean it, mask up America, you know, I mean, you know, certain states are locked down. California got locked down recently. Um, you know, uh, it, and we, other states on the East Coast, same thing. Uh, it really depends on where the virus is the worst. And Alabama, Missouri, I mean, you know, I track it. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's really, really horrific. But then, and the, and the Dakotas, where they don't have a huge population, it's rampant. You know, I mean, this is, this is not uh, a pretty picture. And then, then you see it's they, they they're locked down right now in my family's home country of Germany. Um, you know, so it's not like it's a singular experience. And right. then they're finding out too 
where it originated. Where did it really originate? Was it a lab spill in Wuhan? You know, um, the our intelligence forces right now are doing more research to find out how in the world did this kill so many people? It's killed 600,000 plus in the USA alone. Um, so that's not small numbers. These mm. are big numbers. So they want, really want to know where it originated and how. Was it a accidental spill or was it intentional? And And you see with that original you know variant it's mutated to four now so it's it's very very dangerous um that's why i say you know you know it's not always easy to believe what's on tv you know mm-hmm. and so many people wanted to say oh poo this and then they get it and they might have a mild case, but I had an extreme case. Um, and so, you know, there are people that had mild cases and didn't feel well for a couple of weeks, and then they they recovered, but not me. Um, mm. And then the worst part of my damage is my legs. Um my, where I used to make a living is yeah. no longer there. Yeah. And, um, that's the hardest part psychologically. Mm-hmm. That once upon a time, I dance on the biggest stage in the world with the most incredible international cast. And now I can't feel my legs, my feet. Yeah. You know, I'm learning how to walk again. I'm like a, I'm like a child who's spastic or someone who might resemble cerebral palsy. Um, you know, that that's what it's like. That's how bad the neuro- neurological damage is to my legs. And I that's think it's, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I feel like what it's, what feels like a hard place to be is they don't know enough about this to tell you your prognosis because they're still learning. And then the, this, have, I'm so glad you have a psychiatrist because there's so much loss. And like, how do you balance having hope and, and dealing with reality? It's a really hard place. I think people want to just say, oh, just have a happy um, attitude or think positive. It's like, you've lost so much. And then how to balance hope without, you know, and not fake hope and have not going to despair. So I just want to, I mean, it's just really heartbreaking to hear how much loss and I just never want to minimize that. So I think it's like to hear your hope in the midst of that feels very real. You're not well, just like, it'll all turn out or, or it's all, it's all terrible. Like there's this really interesting balance of how to like live in the hardship and have hope and not. Um, yeah. And the uh, one thing that gives me, um, the one thing that I do is listen to the Berlin Philharmonic, there's the digital concert hall. And that was my grandfather's first job as a soloist in 1906. He came out of the Royal Hochschule in Berlin. And he was, um, well, he was gifted, you know, he was the first one. 
Um, and so um, I listened to that and then I listened to um, I listened to my father's recordings of the Minneapolis Symphony Orchestra, which are which were part of my mother's estate. But it's amazing, you know, that you can go on and look on Amazon. You can find the recordings of or Abe books. And I found so much history of my own family that they didn't even speak about. And the reason why was because they said to me, well, my uncle did, my dad didn't, but my uncle said to me, look, it's not kosher to toot your own horn. You never do that. We never tell, you know, like you're better than someone else because you're not. Because there's always going to be someone better than you. It's just the way it is. That's life. And if you think that you're... My my father told me something very wise when I was a dancer. And he said to me, the day that you think that you've done your perfect performance is your last performance. And then you hang up your point shoes. Oh, wow. And my mm. father was principal bass, and he said it, it was never good enough for him. And the same with all of my uncles that, um, you know, were uh, musicians, and they were principals, and it was, they, they never, they never thought that anything was perfect. And they were playing under Dorati and Metropolis and you know Leonard Bernstein was in school with my father wow. and so so was Samuel Barber and John Minotti and you know they were all at the Curtis in Philadelphia and the Circans Rudolph Circan Peter Circan they were all there at the same time um, and nobody thought they were perfect or ever going to be perfect. Mm. It was perfection to them was never attainable. And so for me, it was never going to be attainable. You know, so I never thought that. I never, you know, had that in my mind about anything that I've done in my life. I've just done the best that I could. And if I've fallen short, well, I've fallen short. Mm. You know, that's about it. You know, you just do the best you can. And then you hope that you leave behind something for someone to remember someday. Mm. I'm taking a pause. I'm like taking all that in. It's beautiful. Because I sometimes I have a question for the end. And I'm like, you just did a wonderful job of like, you took us full circle because you started with your family's lineage of coming out of Berlin and all the musicians. And then you take it back of that's what's bringing you healing right now is to listen to that music. I can't think of a better way to end this. Um, I know there's a lot of us that are following your post and hoping, you know, believing, sending whatever, however they, they pray or send healing thoughts. But I know that you're in a lot of people's thoughts and prayers. Um, Cause I think I'm glad, I'm glad that you posted it brings some awareness and 
maybe some softening around this when people just are getting tired of how long and you have to, we have to stay um, tender and aware yeah. And, yeah. and not, not just dismiss this as just a bunch of big numbers. We can no longer wrap our minds around. So Constance, thank you so much for doing this. And she, and I have to tell her, she put makeup on for this after like you've been <laughs> like, so it feels like, wow, I'm putting makeup and earrings and the whole thing. So yeah, there's like, we take what we can as a reason to put some of that makeup do, back on. Like, when I go to the medical center, it's much less, it's much less dressed down. This is the first time that I put on mascara in 13 months. It's yeah. wonderful. It's beautiful. Yeah. It was, it, it's, um, there's some things that just help us perk up a little bit. So, um, we are going to post some photos of you in the show. If you, you know, I think you have some on Facebook or if you want to share any, so people can kind of go back. Yeah, to I, memory do, line. I do have them in, under, um, the heading there's albums. Yeah. And you can even see the family of musicians, um, and my father, in, in particular, playing the bass and the Minneapolis Symphony Orchestra, the whole section, you know, I mean, it's it's amazing. And um, then there's me under the title of dancing and there's ballet. There's me doing lace of feet and there's oh, me doing the MGM and there's, you know, um, I don't know. I just... I've just been blessed by a very, very uh, eclectic, long career mm -hmm. with a lot of, um, you know, loving experiences through my family, being taught um, manners, which um, sometimes are remiss in this age. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and then being blessed that I'm still here. I don't know why yet. I'll find, mm. I, maybe I'll never find out, but maybe I will. Yeah. And maybe just being here is enough of a gift. Well, yeah. I, I'm praying that I live through the next surgery, which is September. September. Okay. We'll probably do a little follow-up and see, check in and be following your post and, and uh, yeah, wishing yeah. you all the best. So thank you, Constant. Constant. <laughs> Get that wrong. Well, um, and they, they, I've, I've been called connie and i've been called conbone i've been called constanza in europe um constanza is what my european friends call me um but i've been called a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> connie doesn't to, seem like it fits you yeah constance I mean, feels more regal well um yeah except for that i'm a man in europe if i'm that <laughs> <laughs> That's what you were, yeah, that, that was interesting of just how, yeah, you go to a different country and now you're now been regendered. Then they'll change it to Constanza with a K because Constanza in Europe is a woman, but Constance is a man. Mm. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've thought about things a long, a lot and I just, I, I have to laugh when you know i stood in front of uh people in italy when i was working the last time i was over in italy and dancing and and they kept saying mister and i said can you please look at me <laughs> am, I, am i a man i don't think so <laughs> oh and look at the picture on the passport 
is that a man yeah. no oh, wow. you know, so it's it is funny but it's i it had never happened to me before you know <laughs> i'm yeah it just it just was odd in italy that they just kept gender changing me and <laughs> also in germany uh they they would gender change me in my hometown my my family's hometown is cologne cologne yeah you know so i do speak german mm. I, have, i have a minor in german i didn't tell you that well you sent me some of the facebook messages there are some i'm like okay i'm picking some german here and some of the family's history so i i love that you gave me a little bit of a um prequel of what what was we were going to talk about because it's you know, like I, we enter in with everybody's stories, like we know the shows, but then how vast either side of that show business makes us who we, who we are. Well, and, and most certainly the, the cast was international and they didn't all speak fluent English, as you well know, yeah, well in, yeah. in my time, um, you know, they were from all over the world and they would speak French and they would speak other other languages as well. You know, um, and I didn't understand them. I did understand Russian, but that's because my teachers were. But, but you know, there were other international stars there that were, you know, extraordinary. You know, to dance amongst the icons and to be taught by the icons was a gift to me and will mm. always be. There's a good place to end. There's a good, that's a good gratitude ending. <sighs> yeah. yeah. And, just, and, uh, Jillian, you know, my hero and, you know, um, Adrian, mm -hmm. Adrian, you know, I was so afraid when, when my first San Francisco, you know, entrance, it was my turn. It was my cue. And I was going to miss the queue and Adrian was dressed right next to me. And he goes, come on, let's, we're going, we're going. <laughs> and, and, and Ada took me and he waltzed with me. And it was like, it was like the sweetest. And I was terrified and it was the sweetest thing that, and the most gracious. I mean, he was just like, come on, we're going now. And uh, I was like, okie dokie. <laughs> you know and oh. I, I will never forget that i just won't forget the kindness that didn't happen in the ballet companies yeah mm. so i hope you get i hope that's my hope for you that you can waltz even if it's you know a minimized version of it maybe you get to feel what that feels like to, to feel that waltz and be led and be free so Constance, Absolutely. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be watching your journey and you're just a beautiful human. And thank you for sharing your story. And I hope people will listen and take it to heart. Well, I want to thank all the beautiful people that I work with because they, to me, were stars, no yeah. matter what. They will always be stars in my heart. Mm. So thank you for giving me this opportunity and for saying thank you to all of them you know yeah. that made me feel special yeah. even though you know whatever you know mm -hmm. but they just made me feel accepted and and okay and 
like I said, dancing with the icons is incredible. Mm. On that note, be well. I hope you will have a, a continued journey of healing and we'll be following. So we are saying adieu, or can you say goodbye in German? Guten, um, well, guten Tag is good day. So guten Abend is good afternoon and guten Nacht is good night. We covered it all for whoever's listening whatever time. So, so wherever you are in the world, you, you can pick one of those. <laughs> And and then then the one thing that I say always is alles gut und liebe, which is mean alles good and love. That's the best. Alles gut und liebe. <laughs>